Well, on August 5th, 2010, there was a story that had the entire world on the edge of its seat tuning into the news that day. I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was a story that had happened, a collapse in a Chilean mine. Anybody remember this story? Happened on August 5th, 2010. That's part of this mine collapse. This mine kind of zigzagged down four and a half miles below surface level. And there were 33 Chilean miners who had been trapped 2,300 feet below surface level. 2,300 feet. That would be the equivalent of if you went downtown and you stood at the bottom of the Bank of America building and you looked up and then you stacked another one on top of that, you would still be about 300 feet short of how deep they were below the surface of the earth, trapped. Can you imagine this? And the whole world was, was watching. When they were first trapped, there was no way, obviously, to get communication down to them. There was no way to get food or resources down to them. They were just stuck two Bank of America buildings below the surface of the earth. They were living off of a food supply that had been put in this little safety area at the bottom of the mine that was about 500 square feet. So a lot of us in Atlanta, if you're like me, you have about a 500 square foot house. Imagine there being 33 people in your 500 square foot house that have been mining, mind you, and probably don't smell the best, but they're all in this little safety area that's 500 square feet living off of a food supply that had been stored down there in case anything ever happened. Crazy, huh? You want to know what they had to eat? This is fascinating to me. One can of salmon, nutritious, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, some of which had already expired, and 10, 10 bottles of water stuck to Bank of America buildings underneath the surface. This is crazy. And the whole world was on the edge of their seat going, how are we going to get to these people? We have to figure out how to get to these people. We can't leave them 2,300 feet underneath the surface of the earth. And everybody watched. All these specialists were flying in from all different countries to try to devise a plan to how are we going to get to the miners who are stuck down there. They would line up plastic cups every day because you got 33 people. You ever try to eat like a Chick-fil-A nugget tray with even six people? How does that work? <laughs> There's normally uh, one person who gets about 48 chicken nuggets. And then there's another person who gets just the, you know, the little pieces that nobody eats on the Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. There's that person. So they have, this is all the food they have and they have to ration it and they have no way of knowing when more food is going to get to them. This is all they have is 18 cans of tuna. And so they would line up these cups, one for every person, these plastic cups that were in the storage unit. And every single day, one of the men who had declared himself as the leader would go through and in each cup, he would put one spoon, one spoon full of tuna in each of these cups, plastic cups. 
And then he would pour a little bit, a tiny bit of the water in there so that you could mix it up and turn it into a broth. And this was enough to keep the miners alive for, I don't know, they thought maybe a week. But 17 days later, hello, 17 days Remember the last time you were stuck on an elevator for 17 seconds and you thought the world was going to end? 17 days, no communication, no nothing. Officials were able to drill a hole the size of a grapefruit half a mile down and, and through that little channel they created, the size of a grapefruit, grapefruit, they could now relay food, water, and communication all the way half a mile down to get to this area where these miners were trapped. And one of the miners wrote a note and sent it back up the line of communication and said to them, we are fine in the shelter, the 33 of us. 69 days Hello? 69 days, you are trapped two Bank of America buildings underneath the surface of the earth. And I don't know what you can get in a channel that's as big as a grapefruit, but it ain't anything I want to eat. And 69 days after a 22 and a half hour rescue operation, they began to bring the miners up one at a time from the, they, they, they built this little capsule. I think we have a photo of it. So, so they built this capsule. The capsule went down 2,300 feet and one at a time, here's another photo of one of the miners. See him inside of the capsule? Look how banged up the capsule is. That's a little bu- bit of a bumpy ride there. And one by one, it would take 15 minutes to get from the very bottom all the way up each miner, 15 minute ride to be released. And you know, what's interesting is that when the miners were stuck 2,300 feet and they finally began to send communication up, do you know what they did not ask for? Nobody down in the hole said, if you could just send me a sharper ax, I could start chipping away at some stuff down here and figuring out a way for us to get out of here. If you could just send me down some more gear, if you could just put through the little grapefruit size hole, if you could put a little like a sharper pick or maybe some different shoes or maybe something else, if you could send us some better supplies, we would figure out how to get out. They never echoed up the channel of communication. Hey, don't send anybody down here. We wanna see if we can get out on our own. No, because they were stuck two Bank of America buildings underneath the ground. And they all came to this conclusion, all 33 of them, we need help. We need someone from up there to figure out how to get down here. And we need them to find a plan to get us up to there. 
because we have come to the conclusion that we can't come up with a system or with a game plan of how we can begin to crawl our way out of this 2,300 foot pit that we have found ourselves in. So would you please send some help down? And this is like grace. See, this is the way that grace works. Grace works when we come to a realization, we can't get out. There is nothing we can do. We're not smart enough. We can't string together enough good things. We can't chip away at some of the rocky patches in our life enough to figure out how to climb out of this hole. We need someone from up there to come down here to help us out. And I wonder this morning if you are willing to admit because it is the birthplace of grace. If you are willing to admit, I need help. See, I believe that grace is the most misunderstood and undervalued gift that we have received through Jesus. Grace is what separates us from any other religion. Everybody else would say, if you do good, you might be accepted. But the story of Jesus is not that. It's what separates us from all of the others. The story of Jesus is this. He has done, and now we have an option to accept him. This is mind-blowing. This is the goodness of grace. So I don't know what you think about when you hear the word grace. Maybe, uh, maybe you have heard, like I have, sorry, babe, about a grace period from your bank or from Georgia Power. <laughs> Maybe you knew a girl named Grace. Maybe you've described someone in your past as being gracious. Maybe you even know a few church songs about Grace. But I wonder if the power of grace has changed your life. And we're gonna look at a story today that, that paints the picture, I think, of where we are. You see, because for grace to be amazing, which is a great song, it's only amazing if we know how bad, we, how bad off we are without it. True? There is no good news without bad news. There is no need for a solution if there isn't a problem. And John, in John chapter 5, tells us a story similar to the problem that we have. And if you have your Bible, we really want to sink in and dig into this text today. So if you open to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1. I'll read, you can follow along, or, or it'll be on the screen as well. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Nothing. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man was healed and he had no idea who had healed him. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. That's pretty amazing. Hey, get up. (laughs) Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Implies that at one point he had been well before. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So I have a couple of ideas today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Number one, grace has a name. Grace has a name. I want you to imagine this man. Can, can you put you, this isn't just, you know, like a vacation Bible school story. This is real life. The pool of Bethesda exists today. You can go online and Google it and see what it looks like. And they've been doing excavations recently. And as they do those, they're finding that all of this is accurate, which is the way that that always works. 38 years. That's eight more years than I've been alive. 38 years this man had been stuck sitting next to this pool because people believed at the time that an angel would come, stir the water, and the first person to get in the water once the water was stirred would be healed. And so he just waited by this pool for 38 years. That's 13,870 days. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying for something for 13,870 days and it never working, but yet you still showed up? You know what that's called? That's called desperation. That's what that's called. And this man laid by the pool every day for 38 years. This whole pool all around, five covered colonnades, five porticos, be people underneath all of them, sick, crippled, lame, blind, just laying by the pool so that when the water was stirred, they could either run or limp or hobble or roll or do whatever they could do to be the first person in the water. 
hoping that somehow in one of these days, they beat the odds and they get in before anybody else. So in my mind, I think about this place. Imagine a pool that's filled with sick people. Like imagine the last time you went to the doctor. Do you remember that? There's nothing worse on planet earth than a waiting room. Anybody with me? You sit in there for 19 hours. You go in there because like my ear hurts a little bit. I'm not sure what's happening. I need to go in here because my ear hurts a little bit. And then you got like 12 people coughing on you the whole time. You finally get to see the doctor. Like, what's wrong? You're like, well, I came in because my ear hurt, but actually my ear is fine now. I think that I now have some form of disease though. And this man, for 38 years, surrounded by the sick, nobody else would dare, dare walk by all these people and become unclean. So think about it. I mean, I I like to think, like, I've heard Louis say this before. I I like to think that there would be people by the pool and, and they'd just be like, you'd get your family and they'd just hold you over the pool and just drop you at random times hoping that while you're in the air, the water's gonna stir. Like, nope, didn't work, come back, come back. (laughs) People be on the sides just rolling in the water and then climbing out of the water and then rolling in again. This is desperation. And the point I want you to see is this, grace has a name. See, what verse 15 says is the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. For 38 years, this man thought, if I could just get in the pool, if I could get in, if I could be the first to get in. And for 38 years, for 13,870 days, he thought, could this be the day that I get in the pool first? And in the story, what I love so much about this story is this. See, the man thought he needed the pool, but the reality is he needed a person. Do you see this in the text? There, when Jesus heals this man, he doesn't say, let me help you out, bro. I've got inside information. And when the angel's gonna come and I'll just hold you real close and right before they come, I'm just gonna go whoop and dip your foot in. That's not what he says. The man, Jesus never mentions the water. He doesn't put the man in the water. He doesn't beat the odds to get him in first. He simply says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. See, the pool represents a system. You see that? But the system doesn't work, does it? Because the reality is, I don't know how long you've been coming in here. But I I know that there are people in here who have been trying to climb into a pool for 13,870 days and probably a lot longer than that. Oh, maybe you're not blind. Maybe it's just guilt. Maybe it's just regret. Maybe it's just shame. Maybe it's just some past mess up, screw up, failure. And for 13,870 days, you have thought to yourself, if I could just get there. But it doesn't work, does it? 
It doesn't work. The man didn't need a system, he needed a savior. So I don't know what kind of pool you've been trying to jump into. And I don't know how hard the odds have been for you to get in there successfully. But what I do know is this. There's only one type of water that will heal you. And it's called living water. And you don't get it by jumping into a pool. You get it by encountering a savior. Culture tells us that healing is found in a location. It's found in a destination. If I could get here, if I could do this, if I could be there, if I could get that job, then all this would go away. If I could marry that person, then all this would go away. If I could repair that relationship, then all this would go away. If I could get into that school, if I could be over here, if I could live in that neighborhood. And it's all based on a location. If I could just arrive there. Grace tells us that it's found in an invitation. Culture tells us that freedom is found through striving. But grace tells us that it's found through surrendering. And it's a different message altogether. You know what the word Bethesda means? Mercy. Pool of mercy. That's where we all are today. Thinking about putting the name on the outside of the building. I know we've never done that before. Pool of mercy. And if you've been limping around for 13,870 days or more, you've come to the right place. You don't need to get in the pool. You just need to meet a person. Because he has the power to heal you. Second point I want you to remember is this. We get what he paid for. We get what he paid for. I think one of the main reasons we misunderstand grace is because we have a hard time believing that something so significant could be free, could be this easy to get. Like, like our culture sells us, you, you've heard this line before, right? Uh, if you're, uh, maybe, maybe one of your parents said it to you or maybe your spouse said it to you when you thought you were gonna save a bunch of money and then the thing broke before you opened the box and then this phrase happened, well, you get what you pay for, right? Maybe it's um, your, your insurance, you get four quotes, it's like $1,200, $1,300, Eleven ninety nine dollars in $48. You're like, $48? This is amazing. And then you find out you, get, you got nothing. Maybe you uh, spend the money on the little Delta headphones. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> if you would like to have an ear surgery, <laughs> you get what you pay for. Isn't this the story that we've all heard? You get what you pay for. It kind of translates into this, which I've heard Levi say on this tour that Passion was just on. Justice is us getting what we deserve. And I'm glad that we didn't get that. Like, I am glad I didn't get what I deserved. Mercy, on the other hand, is us not getting what we deserved. 
Grace is even better than that. Grace is us getting what we do not deserve. This is a beautiful truth. And so what I want to help you see today is this idea. Don't discount grace because you think it's too easy. Listen to me. Grace is not easy. It is not a free gift. This is a blood-bought gift. This costed more than you could possibly imagine. And we think Savior of the world comes down, gives his life in the most excruciating death that anybody has ever died on planet Earth so that we might receive grace and mercy to be repaired and reconciled in a relationship with him. And we sit back and go, sounds too easy. Sounds too easy for me. I think I'm just gonna keep trying to time it right, jump in the pool, see if I can get there. See, because we don't know any other category than you get what you pay for. But the truth I want you to understand is this. With Jesus, it's flip-flopped. You get what you pay for, it breaks down. And the truth, which is what makes Jesus so amazing is we get what he paid for. It wasn't free, it was paid for. Does this make sense? And so don't, don't negate grace, don't belittle grace because you think, well, I didn't try hard enough and I didn't do good enough. Look, we're all born in a striving culture for crying out loud. Some of us still have trophies at our house from things we did 30 years ago. Anybody? I played tennis. I had a lot of trophies. My favorite story is I was, my, my parents made all of us join the swim team in the neighborhood when we were little. Where, you, where I got to wear my favorite outfit I've ever worn. <laughs> and I remember I was getting in the pool for a race and I was doing the backstroke. I'm like, who even made that up? Let's not look where we're going and go as fast as we can. That sounds like a great idea. So I get in the pool and I, I'm backstroking and I'm just like ping-ponging off of the little, you know, the little thing, the little red and blue, white thing. I'm just going boom, boom, boom. Oh, this way, oh, oh, that way. I get to the end of the race. I hit the thing. I look to my left. I look to my right. I don't see anybody. I scream at the top of my lungs, I won! And my dad's there, you know, like pulling me out of the water. Great job, son. I'm so proud of you. You just crushed those people. Little did I know the award ceremony was already over. <laughs> but the people gave me a ribbon anyways, and I think that's where the, you know, culture started to go sideways. Because <laughs> I got a blue ribbon. Nobody was taking that away from me <laughs> on that day. We live in a striving culture, and so we have this view of God. If I could just, like, I need to feel like I paid for it. So what does that mean? Okay, what do I need to do to wash over all these mess-ups I've had? Okay, I need to go to church. Okay, I can do that. I need to read my Bible. Okay, I can do that. I need to not commit adultery. Okay, I can do that. Then Jesus said, if you even look lustfully at a woman, okay. 
And then it's Atlanta Falcons game day and you didn't read your Bible and you didn't come to your church. (laughs) But this is our view, isn't it? I mean, we would never say this out loud, but this is our view. If I could just get the pick and get the ax and send it down the hole to me, I could start chipping my way all the way back up to this location up here. And if I could just get up here, then I, could be, I would be good. Then I would believe that grace is real because I feel like I earned it. My wife hates when I do this. Right? And our our picture, our view of God is that he's somehow sitting up here going, watch him. How far do you think they're going to get this time? (laughs) Big game for the Falcons on Sunday. I'd probably give them like the fourth step. Better than they did last year, third step. This isn't the gospel. This is a pool. This is called striving. And this belittles the sacrifice of our king. Because God knew there is no possible way for them to climb the 2,300 feet back up out of this deal. So I, in my kindness, in my mercy, am going to send my son. And it, believe me, is going to cost more than anybody will ever be able to fathom. I will sacrifice my son to die the most excruciating death in the history of the world so that they can stop trying to strive their way up to me and I can simply send my son to crawl his way down to them. And this is the story of the gospel. Scripture says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Louis says it all the time, and I love the way he says it. He says that sin didn't make us bad, it made us dead. And God's not looking to see how many trophies you can put together on this planet. You're not going to have to showcase your trophy shelf before you walk into heaven. Not with him. You have to have a heart that is anchored in surrender to what he has done for us. So do not believe the lie that grace is too easy. It was anything but easy. The third thing I want you to remember is this. Grace isn't just your passport to get to heaven. It's your power to get through today. Grace is not just a passport to get you to heaven. It is your power to get through today. What it says in Colossians is this. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See, we think, okay, we got grace. 
And at some point when the end of all this is done, that's going to be the thing that saves me. That's going to be the thing that allows me to get to heaven. Yes, it is. And that's amazing. And that's worth celebrating. But it doesn't just save you. It sustains you. It is your power to get through the day. This is what this text is saying. So then, just as you received Christ, continue to live your lives in him. How did you receive him? Ephesians 2, by grace, through faith, right? So it's telling us to continue walking in the same way in which we received him. And so if we received him by grace through faith, we should then continue to walk by grace. Does this make sense? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Your power is in a preposition. Your power is in a preposition. There's a lot of great prepositions in scripture, Jesus is by us, Jesus is around us, Jesus is for us. But I don't want you to leave here today without knowing where your power comes from. See, your power is hidden in a preposition. And it's great to know all the others. Sing about them, they're all beautiful truths. But, but listen to what this says. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You then, my son, be strong in the grace, in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Paul makes reference to the indwelling of Jesus, to Jesus being inside of us 216 times. John mentions it over 20. And so sing the songs, God's for me. God's with me, God's beside me, he's above me, he's below me, he's all around me, but don't forget the most important one, he is in me. Your power is hidden in a preposition. And the last thing I want you to remember is this. Grace changes us. See, there's always someone when you talk about radical grace. It's always someone that can't be that easy. Aren't people just gonna take advantage of that? Aren't people just gonna use that as a license to just keep doing whatever they wanna do? To which I would say, not anybody who's seen my God. I can't fathom somebody would sit at the foot of all their striving and go, Jesus has made his way down to me. He has sacrificed his life for me. Look how great all the sin I'm doing is. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of his grace, man. Wednesday, you won't believe what I got into on Wednesday. You won't believe what I did on Thursday. And then Friday, hello, Friday was incredible. The sin I pulled off on Friday, all because of him. No, never heard that story. 
Because when you understand his sacrifice, it causes you to surrender. And you say in that moment, I am changed forever. My desires are changed. My purpose has changed. My ambition has changed. No, am I gonna sin? Yes, I'm, I, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm just a human. I'm fallen. I'm cracked. I'm messed up. Of course I'm gonna sin, but I'm not gonna boast about that. There's no way I would use his sacrifice as a license. I'm gonna sin, and every time I do sin, I'm gonna stare and wonder and go, God, how could you do this for me? Grace causes us to change. Jesus comes back and finds this man in John chapter five. In the temple, interestingly enough, a place where he would have never been able to go before. And he says to him, go and sin no more that something worse doesn't happen to you. Grace, when it swells up inside of us, it has to change us. The way it says it in Titus, I love it. It, it refers to grace as being our instructor. For the grace of God, Titus chapter two, has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing, what's instructing? The grace of God is instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Eugene Peterson translates 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this way, but because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. Am I not able, and I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do. God giving me the energy to do it. Your power is in a preposition. Grace has a name. And grace is more than a passport to get you to heaven. It's so much more than that. It is your power to get through today. So there's people in this room from all different walks of life. If I could be honest, this is the message that changed my life. So when I was asked to preach about this, I was like, oh, of course. Because I lived a lot of my life right here. Up, down, I can do it. No, I can't. And I thought to myself, God's gonna be so impressed with my trophies. And I heard our pastor, Louie, talk about radical grace in a way I had never heard it before. And it took me, who had had dreams crushed, life ripped apart, torn down, beaten up, bruised, felt like I was left abandoned in the middle of nowhere with nothing left to accomplish, no purpose, no hopes, no dreams. Everything had been stripped away. And I sat at a college campus a year and a half, in 2010, I sat at a college campus in Dahlonega, Georgia, in my dorm room, on my face, thinking to myself, I don't think I can get up there. 
It can't be this easy. My whole life has been you get what you pay for. Are you gonna tell me it's just free gift? All the mess ups, all the things that playing in the rewind button on my brain is just good? God would never want me. I don't even want me. And this message got infused into my heart. And in that moment, I said, I will give you the rest of my life. And I don't have 45 minutes to tell you about the story of my life. What I have time to do, and you have to believe me, is that if God can take me from the rung of the ladder that I was on and 10 years later put me right here to tell you about the grace of God, to tell you that he has a plan for your life, to tell you that you're not too far gone, to tell you that you haven't jacked up enough, to tell you that he wants you, that he loves you, that his sacrifice is available to you, then you would stand in awe. 